Uh, good afternoon, folks. I think uh, we'll start because we are we are quite full, and uh, it's time. Uh, my name is Vinod Shah, and I do a fair bit of preaching. And uh, on one such occasion in North India, um, I was going to be introduced by the pastor before, you know, I started preaching. And the pastor said, uh, Dr. Shah, what kind of a doctor are you? And I said, I'm a pediatric surgeon. And so when the time came to introduce me, the pastor said, Dr. Vinod Shah is a childish surgeon. Um, I'm going to do something that's really difficult, which is, you know, to talk about suffering and evil and try and compare it with the concept of suffering and evil in the Judeo-Christian context. And when I use the word Indian cosmology or the Eastern worldview, I refer to the understanding of suffering and evil in the three great Indian religions, which is Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism, and not Islam, because Islam is a Judeo-Christian sort of a derivative. <clears throat> uh, what we are going to do is briefly understand suffering in each of the three great Indian religions, the way suffering is managed or the way they cope with suffering in the Indian cosmology, the impact it has had in life and culture, and most importantly, how different it is from the understanding we have in the Judeo-Christian uh, concept. <clears throat> First of all, there is preoccupation with suffering in the Indian religions. That means they have reacted a great deal to suffering. For example, in the Hindu scriptures, uh, Sarvam Dukham is a very important phrase. People often talk about that. They use that word like, uh, like in, you know, in, in the in, Christians would say, God so loved the world. And they would say, Sarvam Dukham, that means, you know, Everything is misery. Life is suffering. <clears throat> uh, Buddha, as you all know, started off his teaching by saying, life is suffering. <clears throat> and um, in the concept of nirvana, which is salvation in the Jain understanding, is not a positive thing, but is negative, is absence of suffering. So you can see how Suffering has dominated uh, the understanding in the three. at suffering and why, what they think of uh, suffering as, you know, what are the root causes of suffering in Hinduism. One is that it was related to the anger of the gods. Gods were angry, not necessarily evil spirits, but actually even gods. And gods that afflicted people with suffering were uh, the four, especially the four gods. And these, the names of these four gods are here. But most importantly, um, what the Hindus would do is worship the gods that caused suffering. They would not worry about gods that created them. They would not worry about gods that maintained the universe. You know, they have a trinity, uh, Vishnu and <coughs> Brahma. Which uh, Brahma was the creator, Vishnu is the like a maintenance person, and Shiva is actually the god that causes suffering and destroyer. And most Hindus would avidly worship Shiva because he was capable of inflicting suffering. 
um, now karma is a very important concept. Now that undergirds all the three religions. It is the law of karma determines the quantum of suffering. And according to the law of karma, there is no unjust suffering. <clears throat> if you, if a woman gets raped, well then, you know, there was a reason behind that. There was uh, some sin that she had committed in the previous birth or perhaps even in her early childhood. Uh, it's a self-regulatory law that rewards or punishes people. You know, the way we understand it is, there is almost like a chip, a computer chip on the soul that records your thoughts, your actions, and it's able to compute so that when you die, it has a number and you get, you know, what you deserve. Um, and then karmic suffering is universal. It affects heavenly beings, it affects humans, and also affects subhumans. <coughs> Uh, this is part of the Hindu scriptures. Those whose conduct is good will enter a good womb in the next life, the womb of a Brahmin, a Kshatriya, or a Vaishya. But those whose conduct here has been evil, they will enter an evil womb, the womb of a dog, or a pig, or a Chandala. That means an outcast or a low-caste person. So, you know, this is actually part of the scripture. This is another very, very, very intellectual understanding about suffering. And uh, this man is called Shankaracharya. He's a, a bit like the Pope, you know, for the Christians. He lives in South India in a place called Kanjivaram. And, you know, there are sh generations of Shankaracharyas. The first Shankaracharya, he popularized this principle called Advaita Vedanta as the cause of suffering. And most intellectual Hindus would actually uh, subscribe to this particular understanding of suffering. <clears throat> what does it mean? <coughs> the fact that we are separated from God is an illusion, and it is that illusion that causes suffering. What matters is not being united with God because we were never separated. What matters is not approximating God because man is already part of God. Once you realize that you belong to God or the Brahmin, maya or illusion will cease, karma will cease and suffering will cease. Uh, is, that, is that clear enough? <coughs> Uh, actually, it's not very different from a Christian understanding, except that the, the Christian understanding is that um, we are not part of the Godhead. We are his creation. But the Christian understanding is we are close to God and God is near. And if you know that God is near and that he is with us, suffering actually reduces. So in some sense, it's, it's not, not very far gone from the Christian understanding. And then another reason for suffering is what they call the fated suffering. You know, the world is divided into, into different periods. And Kali Yuga, the dark age, is one period. And uh, this will last about 10,000 years. And as long as this particular Kali Yuga, or the dark age, lasts, you'll have a lot of suffering. <clears throat> it's a time of intense suffering. And then there is also the concept of Leela or the sport. That means the gods are given to a little uh, mischief and a little sport. And um, when he is full of joy, he sometimes does things that accidentally cause some damage and some suffering. Um, now, that is called the Leela concept of uh, suffering. <clears throat> um, I come from a Jain background, and the Jain understanding of suffering is 
that uh, that they cannot be God because there is so much suffering. It is not compatible with the existence of a God because if God is good and if He is all powerful, then there should be no suffering. But if there is suffering, then God is either evil or He is weak or both, and then giants don't want to have to do anything with such a God. And uh, the giant understanding is simply karmic. Uh, it is not. You just get what you deserve. <clears throat> the Buddhist understanding uh, is interesting. Everything is suffering, including what we often think of as good things like love, <clears throat> uh, or good food, or company and stuff like that because these pleasurable things are not sustainable <clears throat> you know i went my son lives in seattle and i spent uh, a week with him and it was a lot of fun <clears throat> but on the last day i had to leave and i was you know terribly sad and buddha would say you know you shouldn't even have gone to see him because that caused suffering <laughs> because <clears throat> so even in joy there is suffering. Even in desire, there is suffering. <clears throat> Even uh, non-living things suffer because they are impermanent and so on. <clears throat> it's interesting that uh, uh, in Buddhism, they have divided suffering into these four parts. And I was just interested because the lack of meaning and joy uh, is also listed as an important cause of suffering. <clears throat> now how do they cope with suffering uh, they have many ways of coping <clears throat> we just quickly see them one by one one is the stoic approach which means that uh, you don't allow pain to become suffering <clears throat> If you allow pain to become suffering, then you are not philosophical enough. <clears throat> He's displaying a love of life. It is the failure to separate spirit from the material. And uh, you have to practice what is called detachment to overcome. You know, the stoic approach is to practice detachment. Attitudinal change by non-attachment to the good and bad things of the world. Now, that is the stoic approach. There should be no attachment even to friends and family. And um, this attitude, once you are detached, you may eat good food. But not until you have learned to be detached. <clears throat> And then they also have the karmic solution. You know, you, you try and practice good karma. Try and do a lot of good, because then that can undo quite a lot of bad karma, and then it will reduce the quantum of suffering. Um, but then, it is again not sustainable, because if you do good karma, then you will not find release from life and death, because you have to then take you have to be reborn to enjoy. If you've done good karma, you have to learn, you have to be born again to be able to enjoy that. So, you know, it doesn't give you an end to the cycle of life and death. So, therefore, it is not a long-term solution. <clears throat> the knowledge of uh, nana is also a solution to suffering, to meditate, to look into oneself uh, can help produce relief from suffering and this is why they have the science of meditation and exercise you know the yoga and then ascetic practices you know doing uh, torturing your body a little and practicing ascetic things uh, can uh, reduce you know the quantum of suffering <clears throat> It can deliver from suffering, from old age, and from disease. Um, there are, you know, many examples. Even evil, evil demons, when they do 
ascetic things, uh, they get quite a lot of benefit. So ascetic practices in itself has got a very important place. And Hindu people do a lot of pilgrimages. You know, they often walk long distances, bare feet, uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in an effort to actually reduce uh, karmic load. You can see here this guy has kept his hand up for 12 years to reduce his uh, karmic sort of load. Here, and then he buries himself for long periods of time to reduce karmic load. And he's done unusual things. And he's sitting on a bed of nails to reduce his karmic load. So you can see, and these people eschew all clothes and, and you know, the basic toiletries and so on to sort of reduce their burden. <coughs> and sacrifice of animals is another way to reduce suffering. Um, <coughs> you know, uh, even though it's not part of Hinduism now, there is no doubt that Vedic Hinduism had a lot of animal sacrifices, horse sacrifice and even cow sacrifices. It was only because of the um, because of the opposition from Buddhists and Jains that the Hindus stopped animal sacrifices. But animal sacrifice was an important part of uh, suffering reduction strategy. Uh, now, instead of sacrificing animals, they sacrifice fruits and flowers. <coughs> um, and Jains often fast into death. You know, it's supposed to be the supreme form of sacrifice. Uh, I, I wanted to do this because I think this is an important part of uh, the discussion. <clears throat> I've given you a brief overview of, you know, how they understand suffering and how they try and cope with suffering. You know, how does that compare with the Judo-Christian understanding of suffering? And how, uh, how, do, how do we think differently? Now, Christians believe that suffering should be shared and reduced. Thus, we say in the Bible, carrying each other's burdens. Visit the sick. So you're supposed to share the suffering because it's in sharing suffering that you, you sort of reduce suffering. Can you do that in the Indian religions? Now, if you share suffering in the Indian context, then what happens is the guy has to still pay his karmic debt at a later stage. Suppose you have, suppose you have, uh, say, severe pain, and I come and minister to you, and I help you, and your pain is reduced. What happens is, you then have to pay that karmic burden at a later stage. So, it is not uh, a brilliant idea, you know, to be able to sort of share suffering in the Judeo-Christian, in the Indian context. Uh, this is what the Jains would say. The Jain principles that have a uh, bearing on caring for the sick, the frustrated sufferer may find relief by sharing a suffering with others and making them suffer as well. And paradoxically, this will move him further away from finding the solution to suffering. So the idea is to actually just go through with it. <clears throat> How, is that not surprising then that caring, a culture of caring did not develop in the Indian context? You know, the first hospital did not start in India till the missionaries came, till the Portuguese came in 1500. Before that, uh, they had some, Ashoka had some sort of a clinics and so on. And they had Aryavaidya Shalas that were mainly for the king and the soldiers and so on. But um, a caring culture like you had in the monasteries and so on later on did not actually develop in the Indian culture because sharing was not such a bright idea, <coughs> sharing of suffering. Um, now, the Christian understanding is that suffering has got meaning in the scheme of things, that God is a good God and he is able to use your suffering for good. The genius of God is able to use that 
in a way that will actually help you even more than if you had not suffered. Now, that is the Christian understanding. All things work together for the good of them that love God and walk according to His purposes. In the Indian cosmology, suffering is seen as a retribution. It's a punitive thing. It's a punishment. Obviously, you know, it cannot have meaning because, you know, it's a punishment. Now, uh, it has a flip side to it. Christians are used to having meaning. You know, uh, they believe in love and goodness and mercy and justice and order and harmony and and meaning and joy. And, you know, they, they have this, all these wonderful expectations. And when they don't have that, and a lot of the population, you know, don't have that because, you know, they've stopped following God. Uh, they have a severe existential crisis. <clears throat> so, the Judo in the Judo-Christian context, existential crisis is very common. Meaninglessness, neurosis because of lack of meaning. Uh, you know, I think a large, probably a Western population is suffering from various degrees of, of uh of meaninglessness. <clears throat> it's the price you pay for knowing God and then rejecting God, you know. You you know God and then you know there can be meaning and then you reject it and then, you know, you don't have meaning and then you suffer. But in the Indian cosmology, this existential crisis is a little less common because we never expected any meaning in life. If people, if there is chaos well, I mean, you expected that. If there is disorder, if there is lovelessness, hatred, you expected that. So, you know, there is less, less of an existential crisis. <clears throat> now, uh, the Christian understanding is that uh, <clears throat> suffering can be harnessed. That means... It can heal, it can chastise, uh, it can lead to good. <clears throat> you know, uh, Paul says that uh, God uh, loves, what does he say? Um, he chastises those who, uh, whom he loves, um, and so on. So, suffering has the ability to chastise and to heal, and we've seen that from the history of Israel. Every time they messed up, uh, they suffered, and then they came to their senses, and then they began to follow God. So, suffering has got a healing potential. Um, now, uh, in the Indian cosmology, suffering is not seen as anything that is very useful. It cannot actually heal or uh, health. <clears throat> now, uh, <clears throat> suffering management. Now, this is terribly important. You know, in the first chapter in Genesis, God has given a mandate to man. Um, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals and the, and the whole creation. So, man is the governor of creation. He is the chief executive officer of the universe under God. And when there is a problem, man is supposed to act. He is supposed to solve it. If there is a smallpox epidemic, man is supposed to do something. You know, he needs to go out and find out why is it happening, how it can be contained, how it can be managed, how people can be helped. You have to be proactive. That is because man was given this mandate. He has a job description. Go and act. Go and do something. You know, that's, that's the Judo-Christian understanding. Actually, you know, um, 
in India when there were epidemics, India had loads of epidemics, you know, smallpox and cholera and measles, and they used to just wipe out large populations. <clears throat> and every time there was an epidemic, people just ran, helter-skelter. They just left people who were dying behind, or they prayed to God, or but they never said, hey, why don't I do something about this, you know? Can't I just contain this? There seems to be some cause and effect here. It seems to be contagious. See, suppose we just, uh, suppose we just separate these people here and uh, isolate them. Perhaps we can contain the epidemic. No, they did not actually think that because they did not have that job description. They were not supposed to be managing suffering. They were afraid that gods were sporting, that they were, it was their wish and they did not want to obstruct what, you know, gods may have been doing. And so suffering management was not, not there in the Indian cosmology. Do you understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> and so what happened? Uh, when, you, when you don't have that mandate to contain suffering, you know, you don't produce vaccines. You don't sort of produce technology. You don't produce drugs and you don't experiment and you don't... Uh, um, do animal experiments and produce new variations of drugs and inject them and, you know, produce healing in hospitals. That sort of um, proactive attack on the suffering was not undertaken in the Indian cosmology. And this is, I think, directly a result. It happened in the West because it did not happen before, you know, the Gospels. It happened in the West simply because of Genesis 1 the understanding that man is the CEO of the creation and he needed to be proactive. He needed to do something. Uh, in the Indian cosmology, he had no description. He was just nondescript. He was just like another dog or a flea or, you know, just another karmic thing. And he was not sure whether he needed to interrupt something that the gods were doing and he was afraid. <clears throat> so, suffering management did not happen. Um, you know, the Judeo-Christian understanding is that God can share in a suffering. You know, if you look at um, you can read a million books about suffering you will not find a good theological explanation. There is no, there is no uh, rational explanation to the dilemma of good and evil. You know, it is not really easy to understand. But God has answered that in a fantastic way, not in a rational way, but in a way that can the human mind can very, very well understand. And what is that explanation? God died for us. He suffered and died. And he said, you know, I'm also suffering. I'm sharing in your suffering. And that is the answer God gave us, the problem of good and evil. He said, what does that mean? That means, I know good, uh, suffering is not good. I know evil is not my plan. But it is existing. Uh, and I know you have to suffer that. But I'm going to share in that suffering. And that is the answer, the only answer, Christian answer we have. <clears throat> God suffered and died unjustly and shared in our suffering. And what that does is, it provides unparalleled palliation. You know, you feel, yes, I'm suffering, but God is with me. You know, what more can I want? It doesn't matter. Uh, there is, actually, I have looked at several gods. There is no record of the Indian gods sharing in the suffering of mankind, you know, role modeling suffering and death, being disempowered, becoming a servant, stuff like that. It's there is there is no uh, no parallel there. On the contrary, gods and goddesses were um, what is the word uh, whimsical. They inflicted suffering often. 
Now, this is terribly important. <clears throat> the Christian understanding is that if you don't alleviate your neighbor's suffering, and if you don't love your neighbor, then actually you can't love God. You know, that's radical. That means you can't worship God if you don't love your neighbor and help with his suffering. You, you It's just... Uh, it's nonsense. It's not really true religion. Isn't that fascinating? That compelled the Judeo-Christian to actually do missions. You know, if you don't do missions, and if you're not loving... Missions is actually the science of loving your neighbor and helping with his... sharing his burden, reducing his suffering. Isn't that? So, if you're not involved in mission, and if you simply, uh, you know, worship God and sing hymns and stuff like that, the religion is false. Now, that is the Judeo-Christian understanding. But uh, in the Indian cosmology, and I've got, you know, other slides where I've interviewed sadhus, and they have said, you know, uh, that is helping other people is a different thing. If I do that, then my God will be angry. I have to be always available to worship God, and I have to be always sitting at His feet. So, you know, the Judeo-Christian understanding, suffering, alleviating suffering, helping your neighbor, loving your neighbor, is divorced from loving God. You can actually love God and not mess about with having to mess about with your neighbors. <clears throat> so uh, there is that complete dealing. Finally, um, um, a non, it's possible to have a non-judgmental attitude to sufferers, especially those afflicted with leprosy, AIDS, disability, etc. Why is that? Because it is not karmic, that's why. Um, I'm a drug addict. I'm not a drug addict because I did some sin in my previous birth. I'm a drug addict because uh, because of some circumstances that were beyond my control. Uh, and I need help. And people will be sympathetic. Christians can therefore uh, sympathize. They can have a non-judgmental attitude. Uh, and they can help. <clears throat> if a woman is raped... A Christian can say, oh my, that's bad. We have to help. We have to do something. But if it is karmic, then you might say, she was raped because in her previous birth, she must have done something terribly evil. And so, she's just getting her due. So, why, you know, bring about change? Why mess about with the law and, you know, fight battles and advocate and bring about change in the law and gender equity and all that. Why worry about those things? <clears throat> so, um, it makes a huge difference in the way you view the world. <clears throat> uh, you know, he's HIV positive. He's HIV positive not only because he was immoral, but because he had a karmic debt. He must have committed a lot of sin. So, uh, it's more difficult for them to have a non-judgmental attitude. You know, these are, I'm, I'm, mention, I'm saying these things in a, when there is, this is pure religion. Of course, the modern Indian is not completely Hindu because, you know, he's westernized and so he's, he's different. But the pure Indian understanding and uh, uh, what, um, say, a villager who's steeped in Hinduism, what you would look like. Um, so I think that's all I have. Uh, and perhaps we can have some questions and so on. <coughs>
Um, a lot of the doctors um, have gone to English medium schools. And when you go to English medium schools in India, they read Shakespeare and they read uh, biblical passages and then they often have Christian teachers and they read, you know, uh, Western books and novels and so th there is a huge inf Western influence. So what you see here, the doctors that you see here in the West don't really represent uh, people who are steeped in the Indian religions. But, but still, I would say that their world will be smaller than the world of a Christian doctor. The world would be smaller because they would be worried about their work, their family, and their grandparents and their cousins, perhaps, and perhaps their neighbor on the left and the limbo on the right, but probably not more than that. So I, I still think that the worldview will be much smaller uh, and the world would be smaller and uh, the uh, uh, Christian doctor's world is much bigger. He thinks not only of his neighbors and his family, he thinks of the children in Sudan, he thinks of, you know, the unjust laws, he thinks of uh, hunger and poverty in all parts of the world. He wants to pray for the whole world. So, you know, he's got a bigger worldview. A big chunk of the poor don't access health care because they don't have health-seeking behavior. And one of the reasons they don't have health-seeking behavior is because there's not been this culture of accessing uh, people who would alleviate suffering and share suffering and so on. So the, the, the less educated you are, the more um, less access you would have to health care. some, uh, the four basic uh, Vedas, Vedas as the scriptures, they are supposed to have been given by God. So they are standard scriptures. And then they have books that were written by early uh, Hindu scholars, which were interpretations of the Vedas. And all of them put together form their holy scriptures. They are about... Uh, 600 BC, they are written only about 600 BC. Even though they claim that it is about four, five, six thousand years old and there was an oral tradition, we don't know about that, but it was written down 600 BC. question is? So my question was, I was trying to understand in my head if, if it's the same Stoic philosophy that you see in Athens, uh, the one that is prevalent in India. Well, I'm just used the word Stoic. I, uh, I don't mean, I don't think that the Stoicism actually was imported from Greece. It's, it's just a concept which is similar. trying to 
present the gospel from a from a worldview where there's not a where's the basis of relationship when you when you when he spoke this morning he talked about relating to Islam people from from giving them Christ as a more loving example of the gospel where where do you relate when you're trying to present Christ where's a common ground yes um, to, to to a Hindu yes. to mean to a God yes um, uh, I, what, I, what I often do is to talk about a historical God, a real God, a God who lived and died, who's, there is evidence historically, archaeologically, and stuff like that, uh, versus gods who are mythological and who are, there is no historical evidence or archaeological evidence that they existed. So that is the point I would often start. Um, that is for the for the Hindus, for the Jains who don't believe in a God. What I would say is that uh, human being is a relational being. Their concept of nirvana or heaven is a place where there is no love, there is no hate, there is no attachment, and there is no revulsion. You know, you are just sort of there. And I would say, actually, I, I don't want to be in that state. Even if they give it to me on a platter, I, I would not want to be in a state where there is no love or hate. Uh, I want to be in a state where there is actually love and relationship. And the Christian God is a God who provides a perfect relationship. So, you know, that is how I would start. <clears throat> how do you think the understanding of this worldview should change the way we take care of Indian patients and our interactions with them in their suffering? Yes. I, I think, for example, um, when Indian patients are treated with respect, they are shocked. Not not the you know well-to-do, but the very poor patients, the low-caste people, and the low-caste women, uh, especially the women. When when you talk to them with love and respect, they are they're completely rattled. They think something has gone wrong. Uh, and they think, you know, why is this uh, important person who is a doctor treating me with respect? I'm just an animal. And that, that is very powerful. You know, and that is the beginning of, uh, can be a beginning of a dialogue. Um, you know, it, it, I, it, the idea of his faith yes. uh, is on every end of mine. I wasn't here later. Yes. And the Kopalai Lekase is written yes. on your forehead. Yes. How do you counter that with Christian ideas and Christian thought? Yes, I think um, <clears throat> the I Christian understanding is that uh, we have a choice. Uh, that uh, even though um, circumstances can compel you, you still have a choice. And that is a Christian understanding. And that is very important. <clears throat> even even though um, I, I know stories about people in the concentration camp, yeah. even though they were tortured, humiliated, uh, I think it was this guy, uh, Franklin, Victor... Franklin. Fra uh, what was the name? Victor Franklin? Frankel. Frankel. Now, he said... They ill-treated me, but in my spirit I said, I am free. Even though they do this to me, I am free. So he chose to be free inside, even though they tried to, you know, completely enslave him. So I think we need to remember that, that we have a choice and we can, our spirit cannot be crushed. at all because they don't believe in a God. There is no person to be bitter about. Oh, James are troubled. No, no. 
there's no they in fact uh, in fact uh, giants are very enterprising because they would say there is no god don't waste your time get on with it you know uh, and so um, they, their understanding is uh, non violence and karma they are the two very important things non violence means if you don't kill animals we don't eat non vegetarian things and if you don't uh, kill organisms and germs you know they sweep the floor and they have a mask and then they don't eat before uh, sunrise they don't sit they don't eat after sunset you know if you do all those things you're reducing the quantum of violence reducing the karma and you're increasing the chances of nirvana basis of the basis of indian criminal law that simply karmic payback well it is british <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, a british a british superimposition uh and this is the reason why just the law itself cannot change a society you know you have to people have to actually believe in justice uh they eradicated william carey in 1792 you know he fought against sati and sati was eradicated but you know that all that is fine that was only a piece of paper but in the minds of people it was not eradicated so they practiced it surreptitiously without the knowledge of you know the british for a long time so you know these things it's important to have a law but then the culture has to change and a culture can change only if you know the human hearts change what was it like before the british pardon what was it like before the british came um they were uh, islamic kingdoms and again that was uh, muslim kingdoms which are actually judo christian derivatives <clears throat> i think the islam came about 11th century there is not enough history actually a good question i must look into that you know what kind of society there was before the 11th century ad there were so many small kingdoms and there is such paucity of history it's difficult to get enough information it's a problem even for me <laughs> it's a perennial problem uh, how do you talk to them about christ how do you prevent uh, how do you not give them the impression that you are imposing something and i think the best thing is to develop a relationship i think the answer to all these complex questions is you must have a relationship and if you have a relationship you will be able to talk about some of these sensitive things um um the historicity of the gods and uh and you know they they worship you have you seen some of the gods in their homes the ganesha and the shiva and uh well they would have these you know their gods in the homes and these idols one method would be to ask them uh tell me a little bit more about this god and who he was when did he live uh, whatever you know and challenge them to think historically come from uh, my family comes from a place called porbandar in uh, in a, in gujarat which is a port 
town, same town where Mahatma Gandhi was born. And my grandfather uh, used to know his family. And so we were brought up on Mahatma Gandhi. Like you would say, what did Jesus do? We would say, what did what would Gandhi say? Or what would Gandhi do? So that is how we were brought up as children. And so we had all the books about Gandhiji. And one of the things that Gandhi said was that everybody must read the Sermon on the Mount. And so when I went to college, I went to college, uh, Loyola College, which is a Jesuit college. So I had a friend, one Father Pinto, I used to play tennis with him <coughs> badly. He used to be very good. But, um, but he was very friendly. So one day I said, Father, um, what is the Sermon on the Mount? So then he gave me the New Testament. And when I read the New Testament, I was sort of more or less converted. But uh, I was not interested in uh, becoming a Christian and messing up my life at that point. But, you know, that's a long story. But in another four or five years, I actually became a Christian. So that was the story. If Christians leave the standards of being Christian, there won't be any Hindus. If Christians leave... If Christians leave in the standards of being yes. Christian, yes. there won't be any Hindus. Right. I mean, he said that and he blamed... He said, um, if only Christians would live up to what they were saying and stuff like that. But, you know, I think that is a cop-out. Uh, if he thought that the Sermon on the Mount was real, he should just follow him. Why, why blame Christians? You know? Uh, <clears throat> but that's another story. You know, Mahatma Gandhi was not really Indian. At the age of 16, the guy went out to South Africa and England. He was there till the age of 50. So he did not really have an Indian psyche. He did not suffer from any of these, any of these uh, Hindu or Jain overlay. You know, he was actually made in... Uh, in Britain and South, South America, South Africa. And uh, so he was able to appreciate freedom. He was able to appreciate uh, justice. And he was able to appreciate things that, uh, that the Western people do, you know, freedom and, and empowerment of, uh, of uh, women, empowerment of low caste people. And uh, he brought about that change in India. So I think uh, an Indian would not have been able to do the things that Gandhi was able to do. Okay, I think we'll stop here, and thank you so much.